Welcome to the Astral Projection Podcast, brought to you by Ali Wiley. Welcome everyone. This is part of my interview with Andrew Hodrian, who is presently conducting research on out-of-body experiences. To take part in the survey, please go to www.obesurvey.webspace.virginmedia.com forward slash survey page dot html. The survey expires on the 9th of November 2014. So I'll quickly mention about the bodily form as I said that I'm interested in that. We found, as I mentioned in the first podcast, I talked about the asomatic form. And for any new listeners who have not heard the early one, the asomatic form is basically having the experience of having no double body, no other body, where when you're in the OBE state. So you could experience yourself just being a point of awareness or consciousness. And, and some people have an actual experience of this, so they say that they could feel like they, they had no spatial entity, no spatial properties or anything, which is... Interesting, just that as an idea that you can you can know that you exist as nothing, just a point of awareness. And so we found five percent, which is you know as you can tell is quite rare. So five percent of our sample experienced that, and I knew I'd found this out previously to be quite rare because I'd looked at this in my masters, and I actually found it very difficult to find cases of asomatic form. And it's been taught previously in the sixties. Almost communicated like the extra cord is communicated as being a lot more common than it actually is. Mm. So when you look at cases, I mean, you know, as a whole, when you look at, and I'm only going off on sort of case books. So it's it's always an estimation of how common something is. You wouldn't really know the true, you know, percentage of something. You'd have to survey everyone who's ever had one of these experiences. That's right in the whole world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we always have to keep that in mind. You know, this is based on wherever you get your cases from, which is why there's a variability. If you survey students, you might find something different than if you survey uh, people who've got an interest in, let's say, uh, psychic phenomena. Um, You know, you might find a difference there, you know, in terms of what specifically they experience. Uh, You know, number one, you could have, if someone's got an interest in psychic phenomena, they might have read more about OBEs. And because they've read more, they might then try some of the techniques and then, as a result of that, be able to stay in the state longer and experience more and therefore experience more features. Uh, and this has actually been uh, explored in, in research, actually. But, you know, the sort of the more the, the better you are at staying in the state and, and inducing the experience, the more features you actually experience. Which kind of which makes sense to me. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, so so it's important to remember all this, you know, some of the factors that could lead to why, you know, these are just ideas, but could lead to why someone experiences one thing and somebody else doesn't experience that. So anyway, so moving on from that, as I mentioned, it's quite hard, I found it quite hard to find cases of that. I had to look through a lot of a lot of books to find, you know, enough cases of that. Uh, for my masters, I'm talking about. Yeah. For this, we just had the cases we, we'd selected out of the book and the interviews and the uh, uh, OBIRF, which I should mention, if I didn't, I don't think I mentioned earlier, OBIRF, this stands for the Out of Body Experience Research Foundation uh, by Jeffrey Long and Jodie Long. So I think I talked about it a little bit in the first podcast. But anyway, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's a, a really good website and basically collates sort of cases together. There's also NDERF, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. 
So uh, if anyone's interested in going to search for that on Google, it should come up. So with the parasomatic form, which is this is having another, um, another bodily form, we found 44% of people experienced that, which is kind of, I guess, I, I, expect, I expected it to be a little higher just because of previous surveys and, and things like that. But some of the other percentage, the, some of the other percentages were made up of other things, which I'll <laughs> clarify that. So we, we found 11% of people had a parasomatic form, but it, this was a, not a bodily form. And I briefly talked about this before, but some people can experience being like a smoke or a mist or, or a sphere type shape. Yeah. So it's not a body, it's not like another body, but it's also, there's some kind of spatial entity mm -hmm. to it. Yeah. Yeah, so we found 11% of the sample had that we found this is also interesting we found two percent of the sample had both so they had both a parasomatic and an asymptomatic form uh, and i don't mean simultaneously i mean that they had like say an earlier part of the experience they had uh, they came out of the body as like a, a ball type shape and then that sort of transformed into this bodily form uh, and i've read a few accounts of that it's quite rare but i've read uh, you know quite a few accounts of that so that might be more common than we found but we found two percent that and then we found 35 percent. sadly it was unclear yeah well unfortunately with obes often it is unclear sometimes yeah. <laughs> yeah which is i think that's why it's so important to go into this in so much depth so I'm, i mean i hope with the survey we're doing now the aim of this is to get as many people as possible to be more reliable yeah. in that. Because uh, this, uh, this, the research I'm talking about now, this earlier phase, this is what we call a qualitative study. So we had a smaller sample. It was still quite big. I mean, it was 57 cases. And for a qualitative study, that's actually a lot. Because mm. most qualitative studies, you're looking at a smaller sample, but in more, much more detail. Yeah. Which is why you often get interviews conducted in, in qualitative research. So we looked at the rich detail of the experience. And the aim of this was to see you know, get the detail of, of features. And obviously we'd already served, we'd already done a, a huge literature review of all the OBE sort of, you know, a lot of the main research out there um, to sort of guide this. Um, so I think kind of doing quantitative studies, what we're doing now with, this, with the survey is important because you need to look at large numbers of people to get patterns. Obviously there's this variability, but to get an idea of the sort of patterns that are present in the OBE state, that's um, right, yeah. Yeah, you know, not, not just sort of which features are more common, but also how they might relate to each other, um, whether there's some sort of relationship between certain features. You know, like if you have one feature, you're more likely to have another one. And that's of, real, that's of interest to me, that question, because there's little clues to this in, in, um, uh, in OBE research, in, in psychology anyway. There's been sort of some studies which, uh, including my own, like my own master's, found this uh, where if you measure a particular feature some other features are more likely to appear mm. so there's, yeah. there's some sort of structure to the experience in some kind of way there could be any number of reasons why that is so we don't know what the what, what we don't know the answer for that because mm. we haven't even really explored the question yet <laughs> properly <laughs> you know and the, so but this is you know something i hope to go into in the future is trying to answer some of these un unanswered questions that's the hope Let's <laughs> yeah. hope so too. <laughs> yeah, so so that's it really for the some of the main features I, I was going to talk about. What about a particular case that you included in this part of research? Is there any particular particular case that you can talk about? 
Yeah, I can yeah I can talk about one of my uh, interviewees actually, yeah. uh, one of the people I interviewed, uh, and just to mention um, that I, I've already sort of got permission from the person to talk about this right, uh, okay. because we we have to sort of we have to get permission from each individual whether we can talk about it publicly. Yeah, that's understandable. Now, if case, yeah. yeah, if it's a case in a book, it's different because it's been published yeah. and it's kind of out there in the literature. And um, so, but as I mentioned, the book's quite uh, some of the cases are quite limited. So, anyway, I'll talk about one specific person. I won't mention their name uh, for confidentiality reasons. I know they're happy, me talking about yeah, it, good. they're completely happy. Um, and also, just a quick thank you to them, because I'm, I'm sure they'll listen to this podcast at some point, so thank you very much. And so, this is a, a person I, I met a, as part of my research, uh, who I went to interview in their home, and they had uh, the experience that, I interviewed them on was their first OBE, but they've had subsequent experiences later on. So this was an experience they had when they were younger, about I think it was 17 years old, and she she had this experience spontaneously in a way. Uh, what was interesting about this was that she, you know she talked she talked to me about how there seemed to be no sort of predictors of it. There was no sort of reason. There was no stress. There was no you know she wasn't feeling unwell or anything like that. It was she was just simply resting and it just happened. Um, I mean, she was in bed, so you could say it was like, you know, a resting state might have triggered it, but it, it seemed sort of spontaneous during rest or, or sleep, she was saying. And she uh, she was in her home, um, and she basically started to feel this intense vibration in her body. And then after that vibration, which I'm sure many people who've had this experience can relate to it, she, she then had this sort of sucking sensation of feeling herself being pulled upwards like a magnet, a really mm -hmm. strong magnet, yeah. up to the ceiling. Um, so she felt herself come out, and she then had this as a, a visual experience of seeing it, and she turned around and, uh, you know, a classic sort of saw herself in her bed, uh, resting. I think she saw herself asleep, and she also had a cat was sitting on her, on, <laughs> uh, on her bed. Now, I don't know if she... I think... I think she didn't know at the time the cat was sleeping there, so the cat might have come in during, you know, during the night. But yeah. she she did mention to me that that was a regular occurrence, so it was to be expected that that uh, happened. But, but it was interesting, you know. She saw, you know, what what was there. There was nothing amiss, you know. She saw what was actually there in the environment, and it, she she described how she could see in much clearer detail than she can normally see because she didn't have her glasses on. Oh, really? So. But she said that she could see much clearer than she should be able to see without <laughs> her glasses. So uh, and I, I've heard that reported quite a lot. So there's something quite interesting going on perceptually in the OBE state, why people can see clearer and have heightened senses in some kind of way. So um, this uh, part of this experience, what's interesting about this is how normal this experience is because quite often some people you know, other people who talk about OBEs, they might talk about how unusual it is going to, you know, like an, some people say, like going to an afterlife type environment, not necessarily as part of a near-death experience, but, you know, or, you know, going to, say, an, you know, an astral realm or, or where it's something different than your normal environment as you experience it. But so many of the experiences are just completely normal. They're what you do, you know, as it really is. Uh, and so this is one of those. So, and she saw the environment just as it is. Um, she she looked uh, to a window, and she basically floated out through the wall. So, and then 
the house she was at, uh, this led onto some woods at the bottom. And she says as she was out there, she just felt calm. And then she started seeing these two sort of orange spheres in the distance coming very, very slowly towards her, and she couldn't make out what, what they were. She saw these two spheres, and as they started coming near, she realised they were the lit ends of two cigarettes, oh, which wow. two, two <laughs> men were holding. So it was just fascinating, just that alone, the fact, you know, the, the detail being able to... And so she saw these two people coming up, walking up out of the woods into the back garden and coming up towards the house. At this stage, she had a, a sudden sort of sense of fear, um, Interestingly, I think this was more the fearful state than actually being in the OBE, because at the time she didn't know anything about the experience. She wasn't trying to induce it. She didn't know about it. She was 17. Yeah. And she's, this was where the fear kicked in. Um, there was a, a real strong sensation that these two men were up to no good uh, and they were going to come and burgle the house or something like that. Uh, and she saw them coming up right near then towards the house i think that's when you know the fear set in and then she got pulled back to her body i believe um and then the experience ended now what's fascinating about this specific experience uh, and this is not the only experience of this kind uh, she she then sort of got up and she was you know shocked of having this experience and she told her family members who were there and she told them about these two men that she'd seen you know coming up with these two um cigarettes and she told them and they, they, they you know they took she was really you know traumatic about that so they took it at face value that you know it wasn't just a dream and they went and locked you know made sure the doors were locked and things like this um and then a bit later on um two the uh, these two men actually came out of the woods um and came up to the house um to uh, uh, attempt attempted burglary really on, Wow. And what they subsequently found out was actually, I think they'd uh, stolen a car and they'd sort of abandoned the car on the other side of the woods or somewhere like that. You know, I might be getting some, some of the details a little mixed up, but I think from what I remember, they were, they'd abandoned this car and then they'd walked through the woods and they, they were looking, you know, going to sort of burgle the house. So effectively what happened was in terms of how she experienced it, she experienced something before it happened. So almost like a precognition in the OBE state. Um, and this was corroborated afterwards, you know, about these two men and what had unfolded, you know, they checked with police. And so that was, you know, a real interest. Yeah, on the one hand, the experience was so normal, but then on the other hand, there was something extraordinary happened in it. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, and I, I've since sort of, um, spoken to and uh, had cases as part of our research, you know, also having this occur. Uh, you know, it happens, uh, you know, I don't want to report any, I can't report any specific sort of percentages, but it happens less, I think it happens, it happens less common than people just perceiving something, you know, that's going on. So it's more rare, but it does happen. Um, and I've had a number of people tell me, think, you know, does the, is this what's going on here? You know, and think, I've not heard of this before, and then I tell them that other people do experience this, and they feel, you know, even people who have OBEs, they feel glad that other people who have OBEs have also experienced sort of what appears to be precognition. It's not to say that it definitely is, but they, that's how it appears. They see something, and then it later actually comes true later on. Uh, and there's some real fascinating cases of this. There's uh, people observing, you know, specific sort of 
meaningful events, um, like you know, traumatic events. But then there's also some where it's, it doesn't seem to be meaningful. It's almost like just random. But it, uh, I, I mean, in terms of the the meaning of it. But then when they saw it in this in the OB state, it's so specific. So I don't mean random in just like oh, you know, it's a coincidence. They had something really, really specific that then came later true, but there didn't seem to be any like emotional connection to it or any reason why they would perceive that. So the question is out there of why that occurs. Uh, and if this is a big question for parapsychologists to sort of explore that, I mean, in terms of precognition in general, which is maybe where some clues to this will come from. Yeah, so why some events and others not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I mean, when you start thinking about it, it gets very complex, you know, you start to, I mean, precognition on its own is, is complex and it's hotly debated about, you know, why do, why do people have some of these visions that come, you know, true? If you sort of already remove the fact that they're all coincidences, or not necessarily coincidence, um, so some of the sceptical explanations, you know, so it's a coincidence. Another explanation is that you have actually accessed information through normal means but you've forgotten about that information and then later you've then observed it um so kind of like or there's like false memories you know it's a similar thing where you're sort of thinking that you've actually perceived this and you haven't but those are sort of skeptical explanations if you sidestep those and say okay well we'll consider you know a lot of cases are that the other cases where something else is going on you know, you're then left with, well, what's going on? What what's managing that process? Why do we why do we see one thing but then not see something else, and things like that? So it's real kind of big questions to sort of consider with this. And yeah. there's a number of theories to sort of try and account for it. I mean, is uh, you know why we why precognition even seems to exist in the human species? There's a sort of like an evolutionary approach to it. Why it'd be meaningful ev- evolutionary? Why you know to have information about our environment when we used to have to survive and avoid predators. You know, why it would be meaningful for us to do that, to have all this sort of, should we say, extrasensory perception. Um, So, you know, and there's there's clues to it in parapsychology. There's, you know, a number of uh, experiments. I mean, there's experiments conducted, uh, you know, we did, we conducted that ourselves, um, Myself and um, someone called Professor Chris Rowe, who's quite well known para- parapsychologist at Northampton University, uh, and this was with the remote viewing that I talked about in the first podcast. You know, because effectively that was a precognitive sort of design, mm. uh, because the 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 location didn't exist at the time in which people were trying to remote view it. So, well, it, it existed, but it didn't exist for that participant. All it was was a, a target of a larger pool of a larger sample of locations, and we had about fifty, I think, about fifty or so locations, um, and then it was selected later on. So there's something interesting going on in terms of time, definitely, with a lot of these experiences uh, in some kind of way. Uh, and interestingly enough, altered states in general, people have alterations of time in a number of altered states. So there's something that goes on sort of either to do with the brain or to do with how you experience uh, the flow of time when people go into altered states. Yes, definitely Uh, agree with that, the way time becomes flexible. Yeah, yeah, and there was actually a a lecture I saw at the conference I was at in September uh, by Bernard Carr, um, 
who's an astrophysicist, and he was doing a lecture on this time and looking at sort of some of these states, how it seems to be altered. And interestingly, certain altered states seem to sort of speed up time, and then some other altered states seem to slow time down, depending on the level of uh, emotion, level of fear, or you know how comfortable you feel, which kind of alters how you experience time. But I think there's something interesting, you know, with time and consciousness itself that we don't really understand yet. So oh, I would say that I, yeah. I remember in one of my experience experiences, I experienced a whole lifetime in one OBE. Oh, really? It was a whole life. I was a man, and I don't remember all the details because it was a whole lifetime. I don't think it would fit in my head. <laughs> but <laughs> it was. I felt quite exhausted when I woke up. To tell you the truth, because. I thought, oh my God, all that happened. But as I woke up, all the details seemed to like slip away. But I do remember that I was a man um, searching for something. Mm. And, you know, I was a bit of a loner and I had a, I used to travel around with a rucksack and just wander around. But I woke up and I was, I felt like I'd experienced a lifetime. It wasn't just a feeling. I knew that I'd experienced a whole life in an OB. I mean, how can you experience it? So, you know, time it just doesn't exist when you get out there you can it, it stretches or it you know it, it's flexible and it's like yeah. every every like theory or that everything is happening now in some respect and um you can experience past present and future altogether which is yeah, I mean, quite massive, incredible massive massive implications for exactly yeah physics and you know psychology you know Terms of how we have consciousness functions. So, I mean, it, it, there's you know there's a lot of debates, you know, about time, and I think you know there, we might sort of have you know what's known as a, you know a paradigm shift where we have a complete sort of rethinking of something, the nature of reality, or, or something. And you, you know, we might have this sort of paradigm shift with time, with our perception of time in the future. Because there might be so much data in the future that says, well, our whole viewpoint of time is, is, is wrong. Because, in a way, we're always wrong to a certain extent. <laughs> because, you know, you know, and science, kind of true science, you know, understands that. It's often, sadly, some people have a misperception of what science is uh, and sort of almost view it as if it's like this sort of rule about the nature of reality. But science is constantly wrong and constantly searching for the truth. So it's constantly trying to find more and more better data to support or, or, or challenge a theory and then develop new theories. And so in a way, you could argue, and I have seen people, some people suggest this, that, you know, science is not this sort of overarching, you know, this is the way it is, you know. Science is sort of, uh, it depends on the time and the culture and all sorts of things and how we're approaching data, um, which is where these paradigm shifts uh, change, you know, they occur is when you get so much data saying, wait a sec, there's something we're missing here, we're missing something, and then people just look at the data in a, in a different way and go, wait a second, that's that's how it is. And it's almost like, it's not like that, you know, the nature of reality hasn't changed. All that's changed is the way we're approaching it, yeah. the way we're looking at it, which is quite eye-opening. It's quite, you know, it's quite. I think it's quite liberating, actually, because it allows us to be open-minded and say, we might be wrong, about any number of things. Uh, and I think that's a, a real important thing for people to consider in terms of science in general, uh, in approaching anything. Um, so, and so, uh, of course, it's especially relevant for OBEs, you know. I think there's so much to learn about them 
and obviously sort of you know conducting research and obviously obviously... the more people that fill in this survey the more information you get and the more conclusions you can come to so everybody go to the website which i'll i'll repeat again after this um podcast and it will also be up on my site www.astralwings.com so go and fill in the survey so we can get as many people as possible so Andrew can make lots and lots of um, conclusions and find more features and all these sorts of things. Really interesting stuff. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hope I hope people do sort of go and have a look and um, and consider participating in this. So the survey is going on now for the next three weeks or just under three weeks. Yeah. Can you repeat the um, expiry date? When when's the last it's, day that people can do it? It's the ninth of uh, the ninth of November this yep. year. Okay. Uh, it, it will finish at the end of the day in terms of UK time. Mm-hmm. Um, so which is where well, it's actually 10 minutes to midnight. It's just the way the survey runs. But yeah. the information's on the actual sort of website link. Will, so it basically be like literally at the end of the day, UK time effectively or on Sunday. I believe it's a Sunday, the 9th of November. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so hopefully people go and... Uh, and this is the end stage of the research, as I mentioned earlier. It's been going on since last September, and it's amazing a whole year's gone by. And, you know, it's it's really 15 months this research has been going on uh, by the end. Um, and then we'll finish this at the end in December, uh, and they will then be able to communicate results to people who request them. No, that'd be interesting. We will have to do another another podcast episode and talk about the results. Cause yeah, that, that should be yeah. great. I mean... Once we've communicated findings, we send off an official report to the funding group, who are called the Bial Foundation. They, we, we've got. I think we'll have more flexibility to talk a bit more openly about our general findings. And and that's the idea with this. We're developing a measurement tool to be used. So we're not develop, doing a piece of research that's going to be hidden away. And that, the aim of this is to get this out there as a useful thing. And also, as I mentioned, it's hopefully will have implications for how we approach an OBE definition. We, we're not. That's not the main aim of what we're doing, but it's an indirect implication of it. Is that we'll be able to say, well, what, which features seem to be the most reliable, and you know, how do we decide who's had an OBE or who hasn't? Um, and we're doing that based on a number of features rather than a, a basic short li- couple of lines, which is how previously it was conducted. And as I mentioned in the first podcast, that opens up to a lot of complications and uh, potentially false data. So hopefully we're developing a tool that can be used to be more reliable in research. And also it can be used generally. So it could be used in a general OBE study. Um, I mean, it could be used in anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be used in like an academic study. Anyone could use this. It's hope- we're hopefully developing this tool that it can be useful for anyone, really. Um, so to identify whether someone's had an OBE, but then also maybe look at some of the individual features and say, well, have they had this feature as part of their OBE? Uh, obviously, it won't be the, it won't be a complete representation of it because we're reducing features down, which is part of how to develop uh, a questionnaire. So we started off with eighty-three. Uh, I can mention that in the first survey we did, which was earlier this year, we'd reduced it down to at the start of that survey, we ended up we had forty-two features. So we'd already halved the amount of features by that stage, and that was part of that process of developing the best feature the best items that we can yeah. have the best individual mm-hmm. questions uh, and and remove some of the ones that are too risky that could be misinterpreted by someone who's had another experience that's not an OBE so and we we reduced them further since then 
Uh, I can't say how how much because we haven't re reported this yet to the funding group, but it's been reduced a bit more. So the current survey is the final version of that survey. It's been there's been some small changes made to it, and there's less less questions on there. So it should be quite quicker to fill in actually than the first one if, if people are participating again, which they can do if, if someone has participated already. Oh, please uh, do, you. please do participate again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. So, yeah. Yeah, and thank you for your people. Yeah. Okay. So, is there anything else you want to? No, that you've um, covered everything. Thanks, Andrew. It's been um, fascinating. Really interesting. I'm really looking forward to hearing some of the results from this from this um, research. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thank, and thank you very much for your support of this as well. I really appreciate that. That's okay. And it's been great being able to sort of talk to you about all of this. So, and hopefully get to chat in the future. Oh, I'm sure we will. <laughs> well okay you. well thanks for being here again today i know you're a very busy man <laughs> uh, there's no problem you know sort of this is something i'm really passionate about so yeah, you can you can tell you're passionate when someone's passionate about something it comes out in a voice so yeah, you know you can't good. hide passion <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good <laughs> brilliant okay thanks a lot andrew and we'll thank speak you, again thank soon you. thank you thank you okay so cheerio thank you. thank you thanks for listening and don't forget to do the survey if you missed the web address, you'll be able to access it from my website, www.astralwings.com. Happy travels!